Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. It is nine minutes after one. Good afternoon. This is Life Happens. My name is Pimelo Mutine. We're together until three o'clock. Thank you so much for choosing us. So we know that the matriculants have started uh, writing the exams. Lots of talk about and this has actually been an ongoing debate around the release of those matriculous, uh, matriculant exams. The hoo-ha that goes into those exams, the, the hoo-ha that goes into those results, them being public and so on. The big debate this year, I'm sure, will be about what emphasis should be put on those matric results. Knowing that we had COVID-19, we've had a really rough matric year. So my guest this afternoon is Professor Martin Gustafsson, who's an education economist at Stellenbosch University, joining us on the line. A very good afternoon, Prof. Gustafsson. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. A very good afternoon to you, Pamela, and, and your listeners. So, Prof, what do you make of what should happen to those matric exam results this year? Should we be making them public? Should we be making a big hoo-ha around it like usually South Africans do? Um, Yeah, this is a very important part of South African society. So one can understand that people would make a bit of a hoo-ha around them. But um, what, what what I would emphasize is um, I, I think we, we, we waste quite a lot of time um, debating things that really we don't need to debate and then leave out other things. I think, you know, for example, there's, a, there's often a lot of debate when the matric results come out. Usually it, it, they point to more youths getting matrics and then there's this debate, is this really a sign of improvement or is this just, you know, the standards being changed or something like that? And um, I think one needs to remember that examination systems are, are not designed to tell you whether a system is getting better or worse. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of the worst uh, kind of tools you could use to tell whether things are getting better or not. We do have other tools. I mean, we have, for example, the TINS uh, test, international testing in grade nine. We have testing in, in the primary level. And I think that's far more important. And that is telling us that there is an improvement. So I don't think there should be a debate around, you know, is there an improvement or not? There is an improvement. Our, our, the, our educational quality levels are still extremely low by, by middle-income standards, mm-hmm. but they have been improving. Uh, so I think that's the one thing that, that, that one should uh, bear in mind. The other thing is, although Malusi does all of the standardization, and I think they do quite a good job given how little time they actually have between getting the data and, 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 and the results being released, um, the nature of exam systems is that they're never going to be perfectly standardized. Mm. So, for instance, there's been some concern that maths is getting worse because, mm. there's been, because of the trend in maths in, in, in the metric results. Uh, now, for me, that, that's not a sign of the maths getting worse in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. The papers have been getting more difficult, mm-hmm. and that, that is a bit of a problem in itself. Prof- but I don't think that that, that yeah. 
how do we reconcile all of this that you've just told us now when we hear um, advocacy groups like Equal Education who have said over a while now that um, there isn't reliable data. Reliable data is difficult to come by. So there is data, but data that is not quite consistent depending on who's gathering, who's gathering it. How do we reconcile all of this that you've told us and also holding authorities to account if the data that we see is not quite consistent? Yeah, I mean, data quality is a, is a huge issue. Um, but, you know, to my knowledge, Equal Education has never questioned uh, the standardized testing that mm. we do. So we need to distinguish between different types of, of data. Mm-hmm. I think Equal Education has been complaining a lot about data on infrastructure yes. and the quality of toilets and so on. And, and that is a serious problem. Mm. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, is reading getting better or is mathematics getting better, there we have pretty good uh, data and it's, it's from international testing systems. And I think we deliberately participate in those because that standardization happens outside the country. It's not in the hands of government or Department of Basic Education. This is an external assessment. And I think those results are actually quite reliable. Mm. Getting to metric, I think it's not that metric data is unreliable. Mm. It's just that it's not designed to really be a good indication of whether physical science is now better taught now than it was five years ago. That's not what what the metric results or the metric data really is about. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I wish that more researchers were accessing the data because there's really important things one can get from the metric data, Mm. including things like, you know, subject difficulty, which subjects are more difficult than others, are learners taking mathematics when they should be taking mathematical literacy, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. You know, you, you're pointing out something very interesting to say that there is this fixate, fixation fixation on the exams, matric exams, whereas we could be looking at other, at other things. When we look at data from, let's say, um, grade four, for instance, what does that tell us as opposed to what we're getting from the metric exams themselves, which you're saying don't really indicate much um, that is useful? Well, the grade four, the grade four data, which is uh, data that we get from an international program called PEARLS, mm-hmm. has, has been a bit of a difficult uh, experience for South Africa because there was a problem with the most recent trend that we have, which is 2011 to 2016. And I was involved in a process with the Department of Basic Education into looking into that. And actually, there was an improvement during that period. Whether there's been an improvement beyond 2016 is uh, we'll know after the 2021 results come out. Unfortunately, these testing systems, you know, don't get run every year. It's every five years. So you have to work. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the question is, you know, okay, so things are improving, but is it a big improvement? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's the obvious question. And um, I have argued that uh, this is the improvement we've seen in grade four reading, just as uh, the improvement we've seen in grade nine mathematics and science in these international testing systems is about as good as we could expect. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods. We're still an underperforming country. Mm-hmm. But if you look at trends around the world um, and how quickly education systems pick up in terms of quality, uh, I find it difficult to believe that we could actually be moving any faster. Mm-hmm. But obviously the challenge is to 
ensure that we continue with this trajectory because the further up you move, yes. the more difficult it is to continue those improvements. Singapore can barely not improve <laughs> yes. because they've almost reached the yeah, ceiling. The ceiling yeah. but, but what is making it hard to move faster? You're saying you, you, you doubt that we could move faster and yet there is room for improvement. What is making it harder? And I'm basing this on the fact that there is a lot of money that goes into education, you know, in comparison to other departments, for instance, in this country. And and there seems to be the will to get this moving in the right direction. Mm. What is making it so hard to move faster? Well, there's like an inconvenient truth about schooling systems. Um, You can take one or two schools and turn them around fairly quickly. Mm. But if you're taking a whole system of, say, 17,000 primary schools, uh, you're sitting with a huge workforce um, who were trained. Most of our teachers were still trained during apartheid mm. before 1994. And it takes a long time to kind of refresh the teaching skills. We are seeing some refreshing. And, and I think the, the, there's clear data that indicate that the teachers coming out of the new university-based system mm-hmm. are actually in many ways better teachers than older mm-hmm. teachers. I know <laughs> I, I, some would disagree with yes, me, yes. but, yes. They, they would, but, but the, I've looked at this. The data at least indicate that subject knowledge is, is better amongst ah. the average younger teacher than the average older teacher. So to answer your question, I mean, change takes time mm. because you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with teachers, and it's not easy, obviously, to change the, the, the teaching practices or the knowledge of teachers who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, it does take time. But at the same time, I think there are, uh, you know, there are things that we need to do. There are exciting things we need to do. It can't just be business as usual. I think the, 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 the latest medium-term strategic framework of government, the five-year plan, has some really important innovations that I think we need to follow through on. I mean, I think that uh, at the primary level, one of the things we need is just better information on the reading levels of each school. President Ramaphosa said some years ago that, that you know, every 10-year-old must be able to read for meaning. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to really implement that practically, mm-hmm. you need to know which other schools, which children are just not reading as they should. Mm-hmm. And it's different in different schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot depends on who the school principal is and so on. And we need better information. But that information needs to be reliable because you can't go to schools and start pointing fingers at people mm. if your data is not reliable. It really needs to be uh, sufficiently reliable if you're going to hold people accountable. What we're also seeing, though, is that there are distinct differences between provinces. H- how can we kind of bring an equal balance to this? I think that, um, yeah, our provinces are kind of interesting kind of experiments in a sense they do things somewhat differently Mm. they can learn from each other Um, I think that if you look just at the the annual plans Mm -hmm. of the provincial education departments you'll see a lot of variation in what they focus on but I think also a lot of variation in just the quality Mm. of their planning so some provinces are actually quite good Mm. at focusing on on the quality of schooling, understanding what it means, understanding how to measure it, mm. whereas other provinces are really weak. 
So I think that what you know in our in our system, what's probably missing is 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 this kind of closer or more in, uh, engagement by Parliament, by the portfolio committee mm-hmm. there with provinces on their annual plan. So not just what is the most recent crisis, mm-hmm. but what are you as KwaZulu-Natal or Free State or Western Cape doing to address the particular problems of your province? How is that reflected in your plan? And if you come with a plan this year, it should be different to your plan three years ago. Mm-hmm. So we very easily forget that it's the same thing that gets rehashed mm-hmm. year after year, and we don't look back. We don't learn from what happened four or five years ago. Prof, it wasn't so long ago when South Africans were South Africans were really having a massive debate about the introduction of a Grade Nine certificate, and it was really massively debated. And the sense that came through from many quarters was that this is a dumbing down of of our system. But it's not quite the case internationally when you compare ourselves to other countries, middle income countries. This is kind of there. It's the norm that there are different levels of school exit points than just the matric point. Yes, I mean the. Uh, I think it's important to note that that uh, the government five-year plan actually does now uh, put forward this, this this grade nine certificate as something that that we need to take uh, forward. It is controversial. Mm. Uh, I think largely because people think it's a way of getting children out of school earlier. I don't think that that's going to happen, and it should certainly not happen. Um, I think South Africans will continue to value the matric and try and get as many youths to get the matric as possible. But we, the, 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 in a way, our schooling system is very kind of elitist in the sense that it's all or nothing. So mm. if you don't get the matric, you are considered a failure. Mm. You are not given any tools to communicate with, say, a TVET college or an employer. You have nothing. You have no kind of national qualification to say what your skills really are. And yet you've spent over a decade in the schooling system. So it's this all or nothing. You know, we, we, don't, we don't really want to say that half of the youths who don't get a matric, and it's just under half, we don't want to say that they are failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what we need is a kind of a, an approach and systems that, that, that cater for that and realize that we are not going to get everyone to get a matric within five years. Maybe that'll take 20 years. In the meantime, we need to have approaches to getting, uh, yeah, to catering for youth who don't get the matric. And, I mean, as you mentioned, it's, it's actually – there's no middle-income country that gets all its youth to complete 12 years of schooling successfully. This is a development process that takes that takes time. Yeah, let's take calls. 011-714-2006. You may have questions. Um, you may have some input. You may have some interesting points to add to this conversation. I just want to bring in an element that I, I haven't seen much of um, in in terms of research and data. That is the input of learners themselves. We spoke a little bit earlier about how difficult learners are finding a certain system and maybe even attitudes. To what extent have we gone out of our way to assess what the learners are feeling with the kind of material that they've been given to learn? Well, this is not something I specialize in, but it... um yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't do enough gauging of what learners themselves experience, 
or teachers' mm. experience. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of policy making tends to be quite top down, and there are assumptions around this is what people need. Mm. And I think that that one does need uh, to look more closely at what what the needs are. And I think part of that is just using data that we have. St- Statistics South Africa is is a, is a really good uh, um, statistical agency. Um, by international standards, and there's a lot of data there that can tell us what exactly the, the issues are that youths face, mm-hmm. both economic issues but also psychosocial issues, violence in schools, bullying, and so on. And I think, I think what we, we, we should also focus more on is, and, and I, I dealt with this in, the, in, in my article, is what happens after the end of the year exams. Mm. So all of the focus is on the year-end exams, who gets metric then. Mm. But at any point in time, there's about a quarter of a million youths who are trying to kind of mop things up and get additional subjects, mm. uh, either through the National Senior Certificate or the Amended Senior Certificate. And they are almost entirely off the radar. So it's kind of, they're left to, the, to their own devices um, and I think that we need to pay more attention to get ensuring that those youths are catered for as well as possible. There are a lot of youths who don't get the matric the first time around. Yeah. How can we make sure that over the years you can put together your credits and get your NSC? And we know that that process actually is quite quite difficult, partly because youth don't always have the information they need. And, and we, we, that space, particularly that particular space, is is just full of bogus colleges as well, where you have people just coming in and praying and the youth that you're talking about that we don't give enough attention to. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there are, there, there, there are some um, checks and balances on, on these uh, fly-by-night colleges. They... they, they the private sector has a role to play. Um, if you, you know, if you if you seek support, it should be you know, especially after your initial uh, attempt at matric, mm. wherever you can get it is 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 good. But it is, of course, government's uh, role to ensure that there, there's not uh, exploitation Prof- of uh- youths. There, there, so we've spoken about what this COVID-19's impact on matriculants is likely to be. I'm wondering about what it's likely to be for the the, the younger, the, 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 the lower grades, because that's, that's I, I, I'm assuming now that's where the biggest impact will be, because there's a lot of foundation that needs to be, um, you know, solidified at that stage. Do we know what kind of an impact it's going to have on those young people who've missed out on a lot of the the classes this year, foundation level? Well, Pamela, we, we're starting to get an idea. This is not something only South Africa is grappling with right now. It's a huge challenge um, for education. Um, by far, our, our biggest problem is children who've been interrupted in their schooling in the early, especially lower primary, Mm. your grades one to four, Mm. um, because that learning process is very sensitive. Mm. I mean, even now, children are not getting the full contact time they should because of the rotational learning that is happening in order to reduce, in in order to affect social distancing in schools. Um, There are catch-up programs, but what we know, what we have evidence of 
is that um, a child who loses, say, three months of schooling actually loses more than three months of learning Mm. because there's a lot of forgetting of what what, what happened before that. Mm. So um, these are really serious effects, and we need to monitor this very, very closely. Um, Or these are things that can, problems that can sit with us when we, you know, when we have the matric class of, uh, you know, 2032, uh, the COVID-19 problem could still be there if these reading, if reading and numeracy are, have been badly inter, uh, disrupted now and not been uh, addressed. Thank you so much. Professor uh, Martin Gustafsson is an education economist at Stellenbosch University. And uh, that piece comes out of the conversation. We'll also post it up for you. It's one let Let's go to Utsile Saku for the latest in headlines. Good afternoon, Utsile.